The following is a message by Professor Josh Van E. of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you comfort us in, our, in your word because we all too often look at the world around us and uh, see the power and the might that seems to, to be there and the weakness and the frailty of your church. And yet we know that the God of all creation is the one who loved us so much to send his son. And may we ever walk in that confidence and in that hope. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 14. And uh, we will read the chapter. The day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations, as he fights in the day of battle. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley and half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without time or nighttime, a day known to the Lord when evening comes there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name, the only name. The whole earth, from Giba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Aravah. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place from the Benjamin Gate to the site of the first tower, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanael, to the royal wine presses. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing, still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack one each other. Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected, great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year 
to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. So I chose this text this morning. I've always liked the image of the splitting of the Mount of Olives. And as I studied and prepared for this, um, I ran upon this quotation by Martin Luther. And in his commentary on Zechariah, he, uh, he comes to chapter 14 and he says, Here in this chapter I give up. For I am not sure what the prophet is talking about. I should have heeded his warning, maybe. It should have dissuaded me, but I was already committed. Um, But it is true. We get an amazing amount of imagery here. An amazing amount of imagery. And there have been books written on all of the things that Zechariah is alluding to here. I think that's important as we interpret it. Uh, Many have brought that up. That he is very much standing at uh, the end of of this whole tradition of, of other prophets. And he is pulling together so many of the images they have, tightening them into just a couple verses and putting them together. And so there is a whole lot that we could unpack. Um, but uh, I want to try to walk through with you, in general sense, what we find in this chapter, um, and then talk about um, how we can apply that. Um, but I think the uh, scholars are right who divide the chapter between 1 through 11 and 12 and following. Um, you find right at the beginning this this thought of the the war coming against um, Israel. And and then you find that again in verse 12 as you talk about the plague that God brings against those who come. And at the end of both of these sections, you really are ending on a high note. Jerusalem um, not being being secured, not destroyed in verse 11. And then Jerusalem, the, the whole of it being holy at the end of the chapter. Um, it's, it's much of the imagery in between that, uh, that is very difficult. Um, Zechariah begins right at the beginning with a theme you find elsewhere, in that God 
will bring judgment against his people. And elsewhere in the book of Zechariah, he is against the shepherds that are abusing God's people. He's against priests who are doing that. And, uh, and so here he gives us this vision of God coming in judgment against them. And in very gruesome terms, and, and picking up what is uh, language we find in, in curses elsewhere. Um, as he talks about the city being captured in verse 2, the houses plundered, the women raped, half of it going into exile, the other half not being taken, cut, cut off from the city. And so he looks in the future and he sees, in many ways, a second exile, a second judgment as what came on um, Judah in 586 or earlier on Israel. And, uh, but he doesn't stop there. Right? He immediately then goes into how God will at that climactic time come and he will fight against those nations. And this is where this imagery that first um, drew me to this text, that uh, God, in, in verse 3, he comes to fight. And, and, and part of that is he comes and he positions himself on the Mount of Olives. And this is one of those places where the illusion helps fill this out. Uh, many have argued that it is tied to the imagery we find in Ezekiel, where when God, in the, uh, um, the judgment, as he, he brings it against Judah there, he leaves the tabernacle. I mean, he leaves the temple. And he, one of the places where he pauses as he leaves is on the Mount of Olives, as he stands there. And so, they, uh, um, I think that imagery helps us as, as this is God now coming back. Um, just as in the earlier he left, as he judged his temple and his people, now he comes back, standing again on the Mount of Olives, and this time causing cosmic effects. The real problem is trying to figure out what exactly the purpose is. Um, and uh, I was working in Hebrew 3 this morning, um, and verse 5 was one text we looked at because we find vast differences between what the Hebrew has and what the Greek Septuagint has. And they both were working off of the same consonants. They were just adding different vowels. And so interpreting it differently. And so in verse 5, this is what the Hebrew has. You will flee by my mountain valley. And, and so the image is God coming, right, dividing the Mount of Olives so that they may flee away from this, this judgment that he's bringing there. Well, the Septuagint, the Greek translation, reads there instead, my mountain valley will be closed up. And, uh, and it's hard to... Um, see exactly what the image there is, but uh, scholars who go with that, they argue that uh, it is either God closing up um, the 
places of apostate worship that are scattered around Jerusalem, especially um, that uh, some argue the valley mentioned there is valley, very much the valley of, of Hinnom, where much of the apostasy of the, the various kings of Judah occurred. But it's hard to decide between both of them. I think I lean and, uh, and go with the, what the NIV decides here and, and take the you will flee. Uh, and some have argued that the imagery there then is, is really almost like a second exodus, though not the splitting of waters, but the splitting of a mountain for Israel to come out. Um, but it could also, um, we could make sense of the other reading that uh, God is coming and as part of this judgment, he is removing all of these other, other um, apostate things that they had done. Um, as he had done uh, in the time of Uzziah. Um, and that's part of the question. What happened in the time of Uzziah? And unfortunately, the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, they don't tell us. So, we, we have... Something happening there, but God is coming and in some way intervening for his people. And, uh, and then, as he intervenes, we really get language, we could say, of, of decreation in verse 6 and following, as uh, much of what we know of life now is done away with, uh, it's, it's, again, some argue it's referring almost more back to creation. We get reference to one day or the first day. It could be also reference to uh, Genesis 8, where it talks about how God will preserve the natural order, no more flood. Um, but uh, um, we are left in doubt a little bit again because there are some uncertainties there. Um, but then it goes on and... Um, and we get presented um, this idea, this place raised up, as in Isaiah 2, another image, uh, with water flowing out of it, looking back to Ezekiel. Um, and, uh, and what's really at the center there? Verse 9, the Lord will be king, and he will be one. Um, reference back to Deuteronomy, the Shema. Yahweh Ahad, and, uh, and Israel will be secure. So, in this first part, though we have a lot of places where it's hard to wrestle with what exactly the prophet is talking about, we see the general overarching theme. And much of that theme is then repeated later there as the nations are destroyed. But now, this theme we find elsewhere of the nations coming in, celebrating. And as they celebrate, they come to Jerusalem. And it's a Jerusalem that doesn't have priests, that doesn't have special um, bowls that you need, special pots to boil stuff in. But all of it's holy. The holiness goes throughout. So, as, as we do that quick overview, we then say, well, what, what are we to make of it? How, where, 
what is the prophet talking about? What time? Where, where is this fulfillment? And, and this is where I would argue we, we, we keep a couple principles in mind as we interpret it. And, uh, and one thing is that the future in the prophets is told in terms of Old Testament Israel. And yet we know from the New Testament it's often fulfilled right, in, in ways that seem quite different. And, uh, and so that's why the imagery of the nations coming in, many would argue, relates to the inclusion of the Gentiles. And, uh, and we'll look at, at some of those. But another principle that we need to keep in mind is that the Old Testament prophets don't always clearly distinguish for us the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. That sometimes they talk about it, and most times they talk about it, as if it were one event. And, uh, and that's why um, some commentaries on Luke, or sorry, on uh, Mark, they argue that his portrayal of the triumphal entry is looking back at Zechariah 14. As Jesus on the Mount of Olives comes, and then he parades down into Jerusalem. And yet, it's not the full fulfillment of this, as we again wait for that final climactic day. That day when he returns again, and we have that final climactic battle. So, as... As we apply those principles, we, um, we can see how God has fulfilled this to some degree at various times. I think there can be application um, even in intertestamentary times. Calvin argued for that. Many have argued that there's some application to um, God's judgment that came against Israel in 70 A.D., and, uh, and, uh, and here we can talk about how Jesus, as he looks forward in passages such as um, Mark 13, um, as he looks forward to a climactic day that seems to have some reference to what's coming in 70 AD, but also more so when he finally returns. And, uh, and so we, we look at all of that and we can... And we can try to see um, various places where we find it fulfilled. But in the end, as we read it, we really are supposed to be comforted by it. That God will judge. He will judge those who are, who are abusing his flock. And he will come. And he has come. He has come, and yet we wait for the fullness of what this portrays for us. We wait for that day when Jerusalem will be secure, when it will have no more fear, the heavenly Jerusalem. We wait for that day when all will be purified as if it were purified by the priest. But we wait for that, looking at what God has given us, his promises in his word. 
knowing that he has acted in the past. And he continues to use that action in the past to help us understand and give us comfort for how he will act again in the future. So, let us look at it, not uh, try to make it more precise than we can with the uncertainties we see there. Know that um, we find its fulfillment in Christ, both his first and second coming, and wait for that day. Pray that he will come quickly. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words, even when we find it difficult, and yet we can see how you instruct us through it, rebuke us in our sins, but comfort us in our, in our struggles as we continue in this life with the various afflictions that are all around us. And we know that your church, even though it will look beaten down at times, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We pray that you will come quickly, that Jesus Christ will come and make all things new. In his name, amen. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.